It's Friday, March 30th, 2012, and this is DOD This Week, a weekly podcast featuring news from inside the DOD and from around the world. President Barack Obama traveled to the Korean Peninsula to take part in an international nuclear summit. Before the summit, the president visited the demilitarized zone separating North and South Korea and met with service members stationed near the zone. My main message is the same, obviously, to every base that I go to all across, all around the world which is, uh, I could not be prouder of what you do, and everybody back home could not be prouder of what, uh, what you guys do each and every day, the dedication and professionalism that you show. But when you think about the transformation that has taken place in South Korea during my lifetime, it is directly attributed to this long line of soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, who are willing to create the space and the opportunity for freedom and prosperity. At the nuclear summit, President Obama reaffirmed the American commitment to the Republic of Korea. He also shared some strong words about North Korea's nuclear program. North Korea is already under an extraordinary battery of sanctions. They are the most isolated country in the world. They are cut off from basic commerce, Uh, and exchanges uh, beyond their borders that almost every other country takes for granted. They need to understand that bad behavior will not be rewarded. I reaffirmed, as I said in Australia, that reductions in U.S. defense spending will not come at the expense of the Asia-Pacific, and that includes South Korea. America's armed forces are going to stay ready for the full range of contingencies and threats, and the alliance between the United States and the Republic of Korea remains unshakable. For more information about the president's trip to Korea, visit whitehouse.gov, defense.gov, or pentagonchannel.mil. While President Obama met troops and international leaders in Seoul, Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta met with his Canadian and Mexican counterparts in Ottawa, Ontario. The leaders discussed common threats and potential collaborative solutions. We face some common challenges. This gives us the opportunity to work together uh, to ensure that we bring greater security to all of our nations. The ties between the United States, Canada, and Mexico are deep, and they are abiding. And they are based far on far more than just uh, shared geography. For more information on the Secretary's meetings, visit the special report on defense.gov, Travels with Panetta. In a March 26th Pentagon briefing, ISAF Commander General John Allen addressed the current situation in Afghanistan and how NATO forces there will continue the mission. He said the coming years are critical to mission success in Afghanistan and will require ongoing review. That after we recover the surge this September, I'll conduct an analysis of the kinds of combat power we will need in 2013. Uh, I said I believe that power, that power to be significant but I did not say that it will need to rest at any certain level uh, throughout this year or 2013. The truth is there is no way I can know that right now, certainly not until after we've emerged from the fighting season and not until after I've had the chance to assess the state of the insurgency in the aftermath of the fighting season, the operational environment that we anticipate in 2013, and the capabilities of the Afghan National Security Forces going forward. In just the last two weeks alone, Afghan security forces across the country, on their own, arrested more than 50 and killed nearly half a dozen insurgents, including 
several who were planning to assassinate the governor of Balkh province. And over the course of what turned out to be more than 20 operations nationwide, they've also captured several caches of explosives, weapons, and bomb-making materials. And it isn't just about the Army doing good work. The police, too, have been contributing to the security in the cities and the towns, most recently protecting the Nowruz celebrations. General Allen also addressed the case of Army Staff Sergeant Robert Bales, the alleged gunman in the shooting deaths of 17 Afghan civilians. Staff Sergeant Bales is also accused of assaulting and attempting to kill six other Afghan civilians. More from General Allen. Charges, as you know, have been preferred against Staff Sergeant Bales. Compensation payments to the family, uh, the families of the victims, uh, in keeping with cultural norms, have been paid. And both the criminal investigation as well as an administrative investigation continues. For more from General Allen's briefings and other news from Afghanistan, visit defense.gov, pentagonchannel.mil, and dodlive.mil. On Monday, March 26th, General Janet Wolfenbarger became the first woman four-star general in the U.S. Air Force. Staff Sergeant Sean Hostetler brings us the story from around the force. The Senate confirmed the Air Force's first female four-star. General Janet Wolfenbarger was confirmed March 26th. A true pioneer, the Beaver Creek, Ohio native, was commissioned in 1980 as a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy and was a member of the first class with female cadets. She began her career in acquisitions as an engineer at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. Pentagon Press Secretary George Little said Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta strongly supports the president's nomination and believes Wolfenbarger is an outstanding Air Force officer. He also said Secretary Panetta felt that her promotion is a testament to her skills, experience, and dedication. General Wolfenbarger will assume command of the Air Force Material Command at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. This month, we've highlighted many stories of women who have made history in the military. This week, we salute all military women in honor of Women's History Month and bring you our final Women's History Month profile and heritage. Jean Holm was the first woman to become a general and the first woman in the Air Force to become a two-star. Why did you decide to join the military? Well, it was 1942. And the, the war had started in December 1941. Uh -huh. Both my brothers were in the Navy, uh -huh. and I joined the first service that came along to accept women, which was the Army. Uh -huh. And uh, I joined uh, to serve my country, essentially. In I was 65. selected in 1965 to be the director of women in the Air Force. Uh -huh. Just as these issues were really hitting the fan in civilian life, uh -huh. it was tremendously helpful uh -huh. because it was setting a stage. It was making people more conscious of the issues mm -hmm. of women and equity, mm -hmm. which was what it was all about. It was about equity. And we had something to offer that the women in civilian life were looking for. Mm -hmm. We had equal pay for equal work. We had access to schools to enhance careers that, were not, that had no comparable opportunity for women in the civilian life. Mm -hmm. We had things that civilian life did not offer in terms of women's equity. Mm -hmm. When I was promoted to brigadier, that really hit the publicity fan. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing how much, how much interest there was in the press mm -hmm. with this major, major uh, press conference over this with all the press there. Uh, when I got promoted to two stars, the lid blew off. I mean, it was really incredible how much interest there was in this because I was the first woman ever to be promoted two stars. Mm. I can't tell you how much 
my promotion to one star and two star had to do with the desire to promote Jean home mm -hmm. because they liked me mm -hmm. or whether it was time, mm -hmm. but it did break the barrier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I joined in 1942, I thought I might be lucky to get to be a buck sergeant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've lived through a lot of history. I mean, you really, you've lived it. You've watched it unfold. How would you describe the future of women in the military? I would say normalcy. The goal has always been reaching a state of some kind of normalcy. Uh -huh. The women who are coming along in the military today have the careers that are comparable to anybody. Mm -hmm. You look at the enlisted women in the, in the military today, the kinds of jobs they're doing aboard ships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the military, all the military services, in the Coast Guard, mm -hmm. in commanding ships, mm -hmm. those are the kinds of things we hardly dreamed of years ago. Mm -hmm. The mil women are making it on, as much on their own as they can, but they're also being helped along by guys who believe. Mm -hmm. Eisenhower discovered that in World War II. Mm -hmm. General officers and commanding officers during World War II discovered that when they had women in their units, even though they were sort of classified as wax, let's mm -hmm. say, he knew it was a better organization with the women around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just is. It's more normal. Mm -hmm. It's true. Well, I want to thank you for doing this interview with me today, General. It's been very informative and really a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you. It's been, it's been a joy, really. For the complete piece and more profiles of historical military women, visit youtube.com slash dodvclips or dodlive.mil. A special thank you to the Holm family and the Library of Congress for providing additional material for today's story. This has been DOD This Week for the week of Friday, March 30th, 2012. For links to these stories and more, visit dodlive.mil or defense.gov.